3: Welcome to the Inside Tri Show with Sports Tours International.
2: This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and
3: special episodes
2: to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Inside Tri Show with me Helen Murray. This is a special episode. It's part one of a special two-part series, Healthy Body, taking a closer look at body image and disordered eating here on the Inside Tri Show and over on the Wits Up podcast with Steph Hansen. Just before we get into the nitty-gritty This podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of sponsors Sports Tours International, the number one choice for travelling athletes and sporting enthusiasts in Europe. Sports Tours International are the go-to for anyone who wants to take part in events across the world. They are the international travel partner for the six World Marathon Majors, the official European travel partner for Challenge Roth 2021, and they provide top training holidays with their partnership with the world's number one training resort, Club La Santa in Lanzarote. Head over to sportstoolsinternational.co.uk for more. Let's crack on then with part one of Healthy Body, taking a closer look at body image and disordered eating on the Up podcast and the Inside Tri Show. It was just
1: never, ever spoken about. My poor mom was in tears every day trying to get me to eat.
2: People would starve themselves on rides.
3: I started to see this trend where I could get lighter and I'd start to perform better.
2: Peculiar behavior happened in the dinner.
3: The coach singled me out in front of the whole cross-country team to point out how lean I look, and he meant it as praise.
1: I was amenorrheic.
3: Had next to no sex drive. 11 stress fractures. Developed chronic insomnia.
1: I didn't have my period for 12 years. It's just bloody horrible, to be honest.
3: It was just onerous, the amount of restrictions I applied. I very much separated food into what was good, healthy food and what was bad food that was off limits.
1: It just took that little mindset to spiral with a driven person. There's been so much heartache
2: with issues that I'll never forget them. Pretty strong stuff, isn't it? So, you're going to hear some really powerful interviews done by myself and the Wits Up podcast's very own Steph Hansen. Steph, it is really, really strong, isn't it? It's uh, and I
4: guess when you sit down and you listen to these stories back to back you just realise uh, how how heavy these these stories really are.
2: One of the main aims of wanting to do this is to help people talk about it. And that's not just athletes, but coaches as well, age groupers, everybody, isn't it?
4: I mean, what's one of the things that we say in triathlon all the time is that it's an individual sport, sure, but it's so much about the team around each individual athlete. And I think that's something that's really important uh, when we're talking about body image uh, and uh, and eating disorders or disordered
2: eatings. Eatings? Disordered <laughs> disordered <Yeah>. eating. <laughs> and so, Steph, who are we going to be hearing from then over the next two episodes? So between the two of us, uh, we've caught up
4: with Jody Kunima and Cody Beals, two professional triathletes. Uh, a top age grouper, Felicity Joyce, uh, and we've also spoken to a leading sports and eating disorder, uh, dietitian, Renee McGregor.
2: Yeah, so there's a whole array of people that who have all got their own experiences um, of body image and disordered eating or eating disorders, and and we've wanted to speak to males and females because it affects, it isn't just women that it affects. Hmm.
4: Absolutely, uh, and I think that's probably one of the biggest stereotypes when it when it comes to this topic
2: or this issue. So I guess part of it is like the reason that we're doing some of this is it's been on my mind for a while. We wanted to do something together for mm. sure, but it was for me. It was actually speaking to a professional triathlete, Renee Kiley, and I was talking to her. And if you haven't heard of Renee Kylie, She is an Australian professional. However, she used to work in the city. She lost a whole load of weight and really turned her life around from being, you know, a city worker, smoked a lot, drank a lot, weighed over 100 kilograms or 16 stone and is now, yeah, racing and training as a professional triathlete. And we really spoke a lot about... Um, body and things like that during the interview that I did with her but it was the last little bit of her interview that really struck a chord so why don't we hear that last little bit now I was also wondering how's your relationship with your body changed over like these last few these last years because obviously you know to go from 104 kilograms and very sort of unhealthy to being a professional triathlete.
0: Uh,
2: um, how long have you got here on this go one?
0: On. <laughs> let's go, go for it, let's see. Uh, I still struggle massively with um, body image and the way I look and even a bit of disordered eating to a degree. Um, uh, I think the problem, not the problem, but Yes, I've lost, you know, 42 kilos or whatever it is and I look great compared to what I used to look like. But I've gone from corporate world into elite sport and if I'd lost 42 kilos and I remained in the corporate world, I think I'd be very happy with the way I looked, to be honest. But because I am now in elite sport, 90% 90% of the women um, or people that I'm surrounded by are lifetime athletes and they just... My body image issue... I lost 42 kilos and I have excess um, skin or skin tissue. Right, right, they estimate around about three kilos. So it's not much. And, you know, if I say, if I was standing there in my swimmers and someone looked at me, they probably wouldn't even notice. But I, I know where it is. So... Um, gosh this is getting this is really difficult to talk about Um, but what I'm trying to say is I'm surrounded by healthy people lifetime athletes who have looked after their body their entire life and deservedly have toned figures and I find myself not comparing to them but definitely with lower, you know, lower body image when I'm around people like that because I'm very aware of the fact that I don't look like that. Like I will never, as lean as I can get um, and as light as I can get, I will never look super lean or super light simply because I have that excess skin or skin tissue from the weight loss. Um, So has my body image improved of course i know i look better but honestly (laughs) i don't think i look amazing (laughs) and i think that's just because of the space i'm in at the moment um it is also really different you know in regards to aesthetics and things like that i've come from a corporate world where you wear makeup every day you wear nice clothes every day you always look nice and now i'm in this triathlon space where i just look like a slob half the time (laughs) when i'm getting around and you know just recently having an accident and 15 stitches in my face i've got like scars on my face now so yeah i would say it's definitely an ongoing battle the way i feel about my body and my looks
2: and do you think that then has been like almost the hardest bit for you about being a professional triathlete body image
0: Mm. I actually think so it's you know weight and the way I look it's so stupid because it doesn't necessarily correlate with performance at all like and I don't want to come I don't want to come across because I'm definitely not one of those people that you know is obsessed with weight and stuff but I it definitely um yeah has been one of the I wouldn't say challenge. It's not really a challenge, is it? But it's definitely one of the thoughts that consumes
2: me probably more than anything else. But you know what, Renee? I don't. I. I honestly don't think that you would be the only one to sort of think that and say that. And it's just that you. You know. You. You have said it, and I reckon there'd probably be a, a load of people listening who who also struggle with body image in in this sport. I I don't think it's a, it's not uncommon, is it? No, I think it's a lot more.
0: I think body image and disordered eating is a lot more common than people think. And it's something that I haven't talked about uh, for the last 12 or 18 months because it is uh, scary to talk about. Um, but I've decided just recently that I'm, I am going to talk about it now moving forward because it is a lot more common than people think.
2: And do you like, do you feel enough to do your sessions? <laughs>
0: Have you been inside my mind?
2: No. In the last couple
0: of months or something? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Sometimes I don't. That's the honest answer. Yeah, sometimes my problem is when – and I've been like this since a child, like since I was a child but wasn't conscious of it at the time. It's only been in this last couple of years where I've thought more and more about my history and and linking things back and why you have certain habits and traits and what happened in your childhood and, you know, trying to connect everything. And disordered eating – um, is one thing that's, I'm very, very curious to understand more. Um, my problem is when I am happy, um, I actually, yeah, like when I'm happy and I'm in a good place and I'm training well and everything's great. Like I don't think about food a lot. I, I fuel to survive, if that makes sense. I just eat to get through. Yeah. But when I am injured or when I'm unhappy, um, I turn to food as some sort of medicine, some sort of mood enhancer and I have my entire life. And obviously I think that's why I put on so much weight and got to 105 kilos because I went through 15 years where I was just unhappy. So I was just always constantly turning to like food to medicate and obviously that is, occurring a lot less now because I'm much happier a much happier person but I still like even just off this current last injury and timeout I put on like six seven kilos in eight months uh, sorry eight weeks and I know and that's simply because I was upset and emotional or whatever and eating the wrong foods to try and make myself feel better so yeah I'm like one end of the scale to the other when I'm unhappy and not in a good place I have to be very conscious and keep my eye on this um I'm not good with nutrition and then on the, but on the other hand when I am in a really good place and really happy I'm actually not thinking about food as much as I probably should and mm. I've actually found myself underfueling
2: for quite
0: uh, a few sessions um, so I have to be, I wish that I could manage that better, but it's a, an ongoing project.
2: And it is, it's like that sort of thing. It's just that it goes way deeper than anything that you can just happen overnight, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't, I don't think you ever,
0: like when you have an addiction or a bad trait or a bad habit, I don't think you're ever cured from it. I think it's just how you manage it best.
2: My goodness and even within that short bit of content there's just so much to talk about but it was that interview with Renee that made me think I need to do more on this I'm going to get in touch with Steph let's see can we do something on this together so Steph I guess one of the things to come from that bit with Renee Kylie, like have you ever struggled with body image and things?
4: Um, it's, it's funny because I've asked myself that question a lot, listening to these interviews and, you know, quite a few years ago when I was fit and healthy, I I would have said, no, I just, you know, I'm trying to be the strongest, uh, athlete that I could be. Uh, but then when I really sit down and think about it, it's those times, uh, you know, say when I've been injured in the past, that's when I notice it because, you know, I'm I'm not say for example burning the calories that I normally would be when I'm training so much for a, a half or a full distance, um, and I'd, I'd start to notice that I'm I you know I don't have as much muscle definition. I you know I'm not a massive muscly person, but I started to notice those kind of differences. But I think the biggest key for me was I I was feeling sluggish, um, but I would start to spiral. Um, and get and quite similar, I think, to Renee is I. I would just use food as a bit of a comfort and a, and a mood enhancer. Uh, and I guess it wasn't really until now, listening to all of these interviews, that I really recognised
2: that. I just think it's so much more common than we think. And I think even from previous, I don't know, interviews or episodes that I know I've done um, and other triathletes might have messaged me saying don't even get me started on body image or so I I just think it is as Renee said there as well it's a really common issue.
4: Absolutely and I think it's I mean you know we're we're talking about triathlon but if you look at the bigger picture there's a real cultural um, issue that's involved in um, body image and and disordered eating or eating disorders Um, and that can boil down to anything from language to social media uh there's there's so many triggers out there that like quite honestly I don't think half the time we realize that they are triggering us
2: yeah Mm. yeah I I completely completely agree you you know you maybe see I don't know a a picture or a photo or or anything like that on Instagram and you think oh god they look amazing mm. you know automatically it just like goes in your head doesn't it yeah uh,
4: definitely and then if you if you look at triathlon specifically how many times have you heard the phrase and it's never in a m- bad way oh I've hit race weight or I'm not at race weight yet like, uh, how many times do you
2: hear that yep so much so much and that point is really really interesting because we will be hearing from Cody Beals and he talks He talks so amazingly well. And you'll be hearing the Cody Beals interview a little bit later on in this episode. But he touches on race weight and the off-season as well. Absolutely fascinating, fascinating to listen to him talk. You also mentioned disordered eating and eating disorders in the same sentence there. I have done as well already. And I think there is a distinction between the two. So why don't we get a little quick explanation from Reedy McGregor.
5: There's a very, very, very fine line between disordered eating and an eating disorder. There's some clear classifications around certain types of eating disorder like anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa and binge eating disorder. But where it comes to kind of slightly strange dysfunctional relationships with food, that's not yet been classified as an eating disorder as such. Athletes in particular can use certain rules and disordered thoughts kind of they hide it because they're an athlete so you know i get a lot of athletes say well i have to eat this way because of my my training or my performance or because i need it for my body composition or whatever it might be and again is a fine line because having worked in in the field of sport for a very long time yes we do have um certain periods of time where we probably are quite strict with nutritional practices in order to help them achieve their goals but it's not continuous and I guess that's the difference when it becomes something that they feel they have to do ongoing and it becomes their mindset um, and it starts to affect their everyday life then then I think that's when it becomes a problem
2: and how is it more common amongst athletes
5: There was only a paper that came out, and it's now three years, nearly four years old. It was 2016, and and it came out in the British Journal of uh, Sports Medicine. And um, it did indicate there that there was a 20% higher prevalence of disordered eating among athletes compared to non-athletic peers. However, um, that only included... The kind of athletic population so it didn't really take into consideration triathletes or say dancers or you know, gymnasts or anything else so I would say um, that we don't have a specific number but definitely there's a higher prevalence in people who are athletes because to a certain degree a lot of it's tied up with the type of personality they are and also what they're trying to achieve.
2: Steph, I think personality—the personality of triathletes. <laughs> oh, we're a we're a funny bunch.
4: <laughs> oh my goodness, it's so funny. Were you making notes uh, and listening to Rini? I think personality is circled twenty times. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. we're uh we're a unique bunch, triathletes. Uh, but I guess any elite athlete or anyone striving to. To hit those goals, uh, you know, we, we can be very similar
2: in personalities for sure. Totally, and it's that goal focused challenge. You know, you, we cannot just sit on the sofa. and And it's a really interesting time as we're recording this at the moment. That you know, we're in the middle of of a of a global pandemic with coronavirus, and actually. I think at the very beginning of the coronavirus outbreak, that's when we were due to be putting this out and it felt really, really wrong. But I think now actually is a good time to be putting this out because people, their training might be messed up. They might be doing a bit less. They might be training more because they're thinking, well, I, I'm not I'm not doing X or Y and I'm going to just sit and and put loads of weight on or whatever. So it actually is pretty topical at the moment as well.
4: Absolutely, and I think uh, added to that is we're we're sort of isolated, so we're probably overthinking things a lot more as well, which is, you know, that's one of the worst things to do when it comes to relationships with food is completely overthinking things.
2: Totally, and I think on, on that note with the overthinking things, I think Cody Beals makes a really interesting point at the end of his interview that actually if you are overthinking everything, then you're probably getting it a little bit wrong. So why don't we hear from Cody Beals? So he's a Canadian Ironman and Ironman 70.3 champion. He's an incredible guy, an incredible athlete, and it was just phenomenal to talk to him about body image and disordered eating and eating disorders. When would you say you first started having I don't know, disordered eating, is that the right, is that even the right phrase?
3: I think that is the right phrase. So I was never diagnosed with a clinical eating disorder, um, but looking back and knowing what I know now, there were a lot of signs of disordered eating and it was certainly borderline meeting the definition of an eating disorder. So I like to use the term disordered eating, it's kind of just semantics at this point though.
2: And so when, when would you say that first was that you reckon you might have showed signs?
3: So I was a pretty healthy, well-adjusted kid. I had a good relationship with food. Going back really young, I was a pretty picky eater, but I wouldn't really read too much into that. My teen years, I really broadened my horizons and had a great, healthy relationship with food, body weight and composition as well. Um, It was really going off to university and running cross country kind of around age 18, 19, 20, 21, when I really started to see some problematic tendencies and habits start to creep in.
2: And what were they?
3: So initially, I kind of just had this misguided mentality that less is more with respect to body weight and body fat, and so I was already a pretty lean, uh, accomplished athlete in high school, and I started to see this trend where I could get lighter and I'd start to perform better, Um, but what I didn't really realize is that I was kind of on borrowed time with that, so my whole varsity running career was really unimpressive. I actually didn't even run on the team in first and second year because I was so physically and mentally unwell. By third and fourth year, I was able to pull myself together a little bit, but I was still um, far, far too skinny in retrospect. Like we're talking about 20 pounds lighter than I am right now or more and a good 15 pounds lighter than I am when I've had all my best performances in triathlon and also with running as well, interestingly.
2: Wow. And so 20 pounds is about one and a half stone, isn't it? So that is a massive difference.
3: Yeah, nearly 10 kilograms. So I'm, I'm about six feet tall. So on my frame... That's just a huge amount of mass and really right now I, I can notice a difference of two pounds that feels You know pretty significant and appreciable, so it's it's hard to believe that I was ever that skinny and even when I was that lean i had some element of body dysmorphia where I felt like I wasn't lean enough Really? Yeah, it's kind of uh, I've always I've always liked how I felt better when I was really lean and it's taken a long time to kind of reinvent my relationship with my body and reconsider things and I've really only truly come full circle with the recovery process. I would say this past year so we can delve deeper into all the things that went wrong physically and psychologically, but really it's taken a decade, a full decade, 10 years to really reach a a healthy and happy place with my weight, my body and my eating as well. So coming off last season, I took my first proper period of downtime really in my entire seven year professional triathlon career. And really embraced and enjoyed gaining a full 10 pounds after the end of the season. And I absolutely love how I feel right now. There's so many benefits I noticed being a little bit heavier. So I think going forward, that experiment will really inform how I race in the future.
2: So when you were back at university and you weren't making, you know, you weren't even on the team. But did you constantly have this idea that, well, I need to be lighter because I need to be faster. And then maybe I'll get on the team.
3: There was some element of that. But I think more broadly, it wasn't really a rational thought process. I think it was just, it really reflected a very strong compulsive streak in my personality. So and I was applying that compulsive streak, not only to my weight and body composition and food, but to other aspects of my life as well. So I really isolated myself socially. Um, In university, I was away from home for the first time and really poorly equipped to handle that uh, kind of new environment. So. I was there. I was I was really trying to control pretty much everything I could. So I just poured myself into studying and training, and that was pretty much the extent of my life. And I had this compulsive fervor I brought to not only my studying, but also training. So I think uh, I was suffering from a high degree of anxiety at the time, and I was kind of using and abusing exercise and eating as a way to self-medicate, I guess, for all this anxiety I was feeling. And I hate to say it, but for a time, it was kind of effective. You know, I'd go out and Train insane volumes, and and undereat and under fuel and I felt kind of dopey and complacent as a result a lot of the time, and it sort of temporarily abated this anxiety I, I was feeling on a really chronic basis. Uh, of course, it really started to catch up with me in a major way, and uh, over a few years, I experienced a really host of uh, nasty physical symptoms as well. Developed chronic insomnia, had next to no sex drive, and my mood was really poor a lot of that time. I suffered from some depression. Um, Years later, I also found out that I was pretty severely osteopenic, so very low bone density, and that actually took many years to recover from, and that's only recently sort of reached normal levels again. So it really made me appreciate that despite the fact that I was still a relatively high performance athlete, and I was doing really well in school, and superficially seemed to be doing all right, I was physically and mentally really unwell, and manipulating my diet was really playing with fire.
2: Can you remember what you would have eaten? in a typical kind of week?
3: So it would have looked pretty normal, I think, to the casual observer. And one of the insights I've gained by working with a performance dietitian and just becoming more mindful of of nutrition and fueling on my own is that if you're going to train 20-plus hours a week, you have to eat an obscene amount compared to a sedentary person. So like I'm talking, right now I have to average about 5,000 calories a day. That's two and a half times what some of my sedentary peers are eating, you know. So if you're hanging out with other regular people who aren't exercising at that level, it it appears as if you're eating all the time. And so looking back, I was still kind of sticking to like three square meals a day. And for me now, that just doesn't really cut it. I kind of joke that it's like my stomach is a couple sizes too small for my activity level. So I'm one of these people that has to graze constantly. So now the way I'm able to hit that roughly 5,000 calories a day is that I'm grazing nonstop, like every single hour of the day I'm eating something. There were also some some pretty disordered eating habits with respect to how I was consuming food back then. Um, I had a really overly restrictive diet, so I was very strictly vegetarian at the time, and I still follow a pretty vegetarian diet, but back then it was just onerous, the amount of restrictions I applied. I, I very much separated food into what was good healthy food and what was bad food that was off limits. Um, I also would do some things that's pretty typical of eating disorder behavior, like always using the same small bowl or the same small cup or something and you know being disturbed by large plates so some really in retrospect unusual kind of disturbing tendencies around eating and food
2: and were you conscious that you had an issue at the time or did you almost did it become your norm
3: it really just became my norm you know and it wasn't just eating it was my whole life this this socially isolated life where I would train I would study and I would restrict calories and that kind of defined me and after years of that it kind of became all that I knew so it wasn't immediately apparent that something was going on I think I had some flashes of of perhaps an idea that something was wrong I remember going to the doctor on campus in third year I believe and asking her to test my testosterone levels because I'd been reading about uh, what is now titled relative energy deficiency in sport but back then Fell under you know research about female athlete triad assigned to male athletes And so the research was kind of still in its infancy then so I was reading about this though And it sort of fit the bill, you know about all these all these loosely related symptoms. I was experiencing so I asked her to test my testosterone levels and She kind of laughed at me and said oh honey. We don't we don't test young men's testosterone levels. You're fine You know you can go home. You're probably just tired or stressed and I really really regret that I wasn't taken seriously because it wasn't until years later that I was able to get a full hormonal workup and realize that something was really wrong. So it was blatantly obvious that something was wrong, but for someone like me, I needed to see it in the cold hard numbers in my blood work to really accept that I had to make a lot of changes.
2: And when she just said, hey, go home, did you know deep down, no, I really need some help?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, at that point, I was I was waking up at 2 a.m. every morning or 3 a.m. because I, I could just was incapable of sleeping, and I would go out and train until the sun rose and then come back and have a really meager breakfast and then study yeah. the rest of the day and train again in the evening. Um, so my life was, was pretty screwed up then. I had a lot of things going wrong, and yeah, it hurt to not be taken seriously, and I kind of just... Uh, my head back in the sand for several more years before i was able to finally work with a doctor that helped me accept that i needed to make changes so i kind of feel like if i had a doctor that had taken me more seriously then perhaps i could have been more on the ball with this earlier but i also accept responsibility for this on my own you know this was this was my own doing and it was ultimately my own decision to start to make changes to get myself on the road to recovery
2: so when was that then that you did start to make those changes
3: you know it didn't just happen overnight uh, after I graduated, I started to pursue triathlon at a more elite level. and so this was like took 2014,
2: 2014? Yes,
3: yeah, so I graduated in 2012 and took my elite card in 2014. And those two years after my degree and, and as I started to go pro were really, really important for me. So that's when I started working with a, a really good sports doctor here in Guelph, Dr. Margo Mountjoy, who actually was the lead author on the IOC consensus statement on relative energy deficiency in sport. So it's pretty serendipitous that right here in my my small city, Guelph, I've got like access to one of the leading authorities on this very issue and I walked into her office and she basically agreed that I was like a textbook case of relative energy deficiency in sport and so I accept that I had to make these changes um, but I wasn't even sure exactly what they were yet and it ended up being this really this really comprehensive holistic suite of life uh, really what I would call lifestyle changes so it wasn't just a matter of eating more I would say that was one of the most important things but also finding ways to address anxiety improving my sleep hygiene so I could get better quality sleep you know, introducing more meaningful relationships into my life. So I wasn't as socially isolated, which was kind of a a consequence of all this. So this whole suite of interrelated um, symptoms, it was kind of hard to tell what came first. They all sort of played off of each other, I guess.
2: It must have just been absolute hell on earth at the time.
3: Yeah, it was it was really brutal. I look back on that period of my life and I'm I'm really filled with regret on one hand, but it was also a really formative period in my life. I think I was really quite um, arrogant and self-assured as an 18 year old going off to university and a little bit cold and callous too I lacked sympathy for other people Um, and I really believe that people who've suffered on some level it it makes you a more sympathetic person towards other people as well so I don't regret that aspect of it it was a a tremendous period of learning in my life but it was also I I wouldn't wish that suffering on anyone it was really hard for me you
2: said that you know there would have been at at the time more about say so the female athlete triad and how were there other guys who you think at the time would have had disordered eating?
3: Absolutely I think in my in my limited view I would say that it's almost as prevalent among men as women this this relative energy deficiency in sport or whatever you want to call this this loosely associated group of symptoms so doctors were kind of alarmed that they were diagnosing male athletes would with what was ostensibly called the female athlete triad going back several years before this term reds existed. Um, And I think with female athletes, perhaps it's a little bit easier to diagnose because female athletes of course have this really almost binary indicator when something's going wrong. They just stop menstruating with men. You don't have such a clear indicator like your sex drive might take a dip. um, But really it's not, it's not as blatantly obvious when, when your body's in a severe stress response like that. And you know, this is above my pay grade to really get into the medical side of it. But that's kind of based on my understanding. And I certainly observed other cases, even on the cross country team when I was there at university. And since then, many cases in triathlon. So I've been pretty open about my experience on my blog and in podcasts and elsewhere. And I've had like a steady stream of athletes reach out to me, everything from age group athletes, from near the beginner level, but especially all the way up to the elite level, and even a number of professionals who've had similar experiences. So I wouldn't say my experience is unique at all. And it's really heartening to see an increasing number of athletes willing to talk about this because I think it's a rampant issue both among men and women in the sport.
2: Why do you think in in triathlon that it is such an issue?
3: I think the sport triathlon tends to draw a certain type of individual. And I wouldn't paint us all with the same brush, but I see a lot of commonalities. You see a lot of really driven type A, if you subscribe to that kind of personality trait, um, type A individuals. And we like to control things in general. So I'm, I'm a real control freak in my life, and it's something I actively strive against. So if I can, if I can control my training and my eating, I'm going to try and do it to the nth degree. That was my thinking as a, as a kid, basically, and in my early 20s. So it's actually kind of been counterintuitive that I've had to relax about the amount of control I applied to all these aspects of my life to become a better athlete and a more well-rounded person and a happier and healthier person as well.
2: And you reckon on the, you know, on the start line in Kona, when you're looking around, do you sort of think, oh, they look fit, but are they really that healthy?
3: Oh, absolutely. And it's taken me a number of years now, but I can almost spot the ones that have probably overdone it and left the race in training. You know, I used to be intimidated by these athletes and at the probe region when I'd see really super vascular super lean athletes who had that kind of gaunt pinched look to their face and now more often than not i know that they're probably not riding the razor's edge they probably have gone a little bit too far if they're looking that rough and i hate to say it but i was one of those athletes for my kona debut last fall um i let myself get too lean again so just as i'm saying this is something that i'm pretty much over and i'm at a really happy and healthy place with i still screw this up routinely i still accidentally allow myself to get too lean at times so, in fact, one of, the, one of the changes I just made is that I finally bought um, a Wi-Fi connected scale. And so it's just something I kind of do mindlessly. I step on that every morning and it uploads my weight to my training peaks and I can just keep an eye on it. I'm never one to micromanage my weight. I don't suppose there's like an optimal race weight I need to be at. But I think for many years um, I, I, w- I was super controlling about weight. And then the backlash against that was, well, I'm not going to weigh myself at all. So for several years, I just barely weighed myself maybe a couple times a year because I found it kind of triggering to see a number. But uh, as a consequence of that, I would, I would just kind of get too lean at times. I think it's really easy to accidentally run a deficit of, say, 500 calories a day and lose about a pound a week. And a couple weeks would go by. And before I knew it, I'd lost two pounds. I couldn't really afford to lose. So that happened in the lead up to Kona. And it happened at regular intervals in the years prior to that. So this year, I decided to get that Wi-Fi Connected Scale. And so far, it's been a good experiment, I think. I'm not really getting too absorbed with like the day-to-day trends. It's more sort of the broader weekly or monthly trends. And it's gonna be an interesting data set to analyze at the end of the season, I think.
2: Is there a little bit of you that just wishes you didn't even have to do that?
3: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I I wish my body could just settle on a healthy weight uh, without any input or thinking about it. But my problem is that I tend to gravitate towards being too light. So I'm not one of these athletes that really has to work to cut down. I find that I just tend to under eat, especially when I'm a little bit stressed and when I'm left to my own devices. So I have a a scale and I weigh myself strictly to make sure that I'm eating enough and staying on top of that. And yeah, I really wish I didn't have to to manage or, or think about it at all. We took it all. We brought them to our
0: land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end. What will I become?
1: Senwa Saga.
2: Hellblade 2.
3: Play it now with Game Pass. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
2: Lucky? um in terms of actually what you were eating and i mean sometimes it, it it's not even it sounds now like it's not even on purpose that you'd be doing it
3: oh and definitely not on purpose i have no. never really counted calories other than a very brief interval where i worked with a dietitian uh, and did a little experiment over the course of a week i really don't count calories um but i just find it really hard to keep up like if i'm if i'm training A 20 plus hour training week it feels like I have to be stuffing my face all the time (laughs) and I I kind of joke that digestive capacity for me is like a finite resource so I really can't fill up on low calorie low density high fiber kinds of foods I have to focus on my core staple diet that includes a lot of really calorie rich foods like I eat an obscene amount of peanut butter when I'm training really hard like a thousand calories a day just because I know it's a food that I can reliably pack away the calories with without really thinking about it
2: what role do you think that coaches could have in in all of this?
3: I think it could be a really important role. So I remember an anecdote um, when I was at my very lightest, you know, a full 25 pounds lighter than right now. I came back after the summer, after a summer of sort of dabbling in triathlon and really training and racing myself ragged. And the coach singled me out in front of the whole cross country team to point out how lean I looked and how my legs looked like Kenyan legs. And he meant it as praise. He really did mean it as praise. And he said, you know, Cody's going to have a great season this year. And I could see the cogs turning and the rest of the guy's minds. And I wouldn't be surprised if he triggered some disordered eating right there and some of the other other athletes. So I think coaches have to appreciate just how much gravity they have over especially impressionable young varsity athletes, but even at all ages. And I think they also have to be sensitive that this isn't a female-only problem. So I've observed increasing sensitivity around how coaches – deal with this issue with female athletes but I think they need to apply that same sensitivity to male athletes Um, and it's really important for coaches to have a really good understanding of this issue and to to talk about it they can't kind of sweep it under the rug or avoid the issue Um, male coaches have to have an understanding of uh, you know female menstruation and the consequences of that and it has to be something that's, that's not awkward to talk about with their female athletes so I think there's still a bit of a lack of education around this but I'm really glad to see it changing. I think it needs to be a pretty fundamental part of every single coach certification and education process.
2: Yeah. And do you have any advice or tips for anyone listening to this who might think, actually, I'm really struggling with disordered eating?
3: Yes, I would say to not downplay the severity of the problem, even if you think it's under control right now, or it's not really a huge problem. Don't underestimate how quickly these things can spiral out of control. Um, Eating disorders have some of the highest mortality rates of of any single mental health problem. That's obviously an extreme example to talk about that, but I've seen firsthand uh, with some people very near and dear to me just how much havoc eating disorders can, can wreak on your life. So I think it's really important to appreciate the gravity and severity of this problem and also to be really comfortable seeking help. That was something that I wish I'd done a lot earlier. I was really stubborn about thinking I could you know, be a self-taught expert on everything to do with triathlon and figure this out on my own. The other point I'd say is that for me, trying to deliberately manipulate my weight and body composition has really been a dead end with respect to improving performance. So as long as I'm making sure that I'm I'm heavy enough, anytime I've tried to, you know, hit a certain target race weight, supposing I'm going to run better or perform better, it just hasn't panned out that way. I think the physics of it say that if I could snap my fingers and be, you know, five pounds lighter on the Kona start line, Sure, I'd be faster, but the toll it would take to get there, both mental and physical, in the training block leading up to it, for me, it's just not worth it a lot of the time.
2: And what about if someone's listening to this maybe and they think that their son or daughter might be struggling? Would you have any advice for them?
3: Yeah, I would say um, parents need to be really comfortable engaging their kids on this issue. So... In my family, I've seen how eating disorders can be really hard to pick up on. Um, people in the throes of an eating disorder can be very secretive and become very adept at deception. So I think parents need to be on the lookout for this behavior in their kids. And I've actually helped uh, have discussions with or even mentor some younger athletes who have had issues with this. And in some cases, their parents have reached out to connect them with me. And I'm really clear I'm not, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a doctor, and it's, it's very clear what's above my pay grade but I do hope that I can I can help impress upon these young people yeah just how serious it is because I think it's it's really easy what makes it so dangerous and from my perspective is that if you're at a if you're at a good healthy weight for a teenager you may find if you're if you're running or something that if you lose five pounds you do at least temporarily get faster and that's kinda the scary thing about it but in so many cases you see it's on borrowed time and I could cite so many examples in the athletic world and running in triathlon where you see an athlete who burns really brightly for a couple of years and is on the top of the world and then they fizzle out. And one of the common denominators is often the simple fact that they're just too light and too lean for too long and your body really doesn't take well to that kind of abuse chronically.
2: You said that it's taken you pretty much 10 years to be happy with yourself as well. Do you think you can truly ever get over disordered eating
3: that's a good question i've noticed when everything else in my life is going really smoothly when i'm when i'm hitting all my training and racing's going well and relationships and sponsorship and all that's falling into place i don't even give eating a second thought i can eat intuitively and naturally and everything is just peachy where i started to see problems i had i suffered injuries for the first time in my whole career last year and definitely when i was unable to run for a period of time I noticed that my relationship with food became a little bit more forced again, not really problematic. But yeah, in the back of my mind, some of those old thoughts and patterns started to creep in. So I think it's something that's really hard to ever truly leave behind.
2: And I guess you just have to really learn, be kind to yourself, but also notice when those signals are are coming and, and I guess that's when the mental side of it comes into it, doesn't it?
3: Yeah. And that's where I think it can be helpful to be working with other experts, whether it's a doctor or a coach or a mentor. So, you know, triathlon's an individual sport, but I think any athlete at the elite level, you're going to find they have a team of people around them. It always looks a little bit different in each case, but you have to have trusted people that can, that can call you out on your, on your BS, frankly. <laughs> my, my own bs is pretty considerable so it's really important to have you know like i see some athletes surround themselves with kind of sycophants and people that'll just say yes to whatever they're doing um and that's not a good approach you, you really need people that are gonna ruthlessly call you out on anything that you're doing wrong
2: do you think social media makes this like helps or hinders when it comes to body image and disordered eating amongst triathletes
3: <laughs> oh I think that's a leading question I would say hinders for sure um, I don't I don't see any good coming from social media with respect to um, body image and and things like that especially in the realm of athletics like how many athletes do you see posting unflattering photos where they're in the offseason and they're not as ripped as usual there there are there are some great notable counterexamples to that um, but for by and large people are cherry-picking images that make them look really ripped and lean And it's kind of amazing how much uh, like just hydration state and lighting and camera angles play into that. And I know some athletes have done an interesting compare and contrast, but I could take two photos in the same day, one that makes me look really shredded and another that is, you know, the exact opposite. So we're all we're all kind of filtering and and cherry picking for our social media. And I don't think that's a good thing. And It's not contributing to healthy relationships with with um, body and eating.
2: And have you, you said about this, um, the off season and and you could actually relax, you know, and take that time. Could you be relaxed with food as well?
3: Absolutely. So I'm actually pretty relaxed with food year round. I don't really eat any differently in the off season than I do during race season. And I really mean that. So every week of the year, there's zero foods that are totally off limits. So I follow a largely plant-based diet, but I'm really not strict about it. I'm really a big believer that if I have a craving for something, even if it's meat, I go out and I satisfy that craving. And if if it's in a social situation, I'll eat whatever's being served. So I think by and large, I've seen, from my pretty considerable experience, sharing meals with other elite athletes at training camps and races and stuff, the best athletes are pretty flexible with their diets. They don't follow really restrictive diets with names. They're not really crazy about food. And you know, the simple fact is, it's It's hard to come up with thousands and thousands of calories a day to fuel our training so if you're if you're adhering to a very strict diet, you're making your life i would say needlessly complicated
2: steph I think one of the things for me that jumped out during Cody's interview is the fact that he went to get help and he was pretty much laughed at uh,
4: yeah and uh, the thing is. I mean, I think one of the main reasons he was laughed at is because he's a male, right? Yeah. But even, uh, I guess, and and from from my own experience, uh, when I had, um, let's just say, a bit of a meltdown a few years ago and it was a hormonal issue, uh, cortisol issue, which he sort of touches on a fair bit in uh, his discussion with us, I got laughed at by a GP as well and basically was told that, I was talking rubbish and I just needed to sleep. And it's a really, yeah. And, and I mean, that's a whole other tangent. Maybe we'll do another podcast series on that kind of thing. Yeah. (laughs) But it's, it's so interesting that um, sometimes traditional forms of um, medicine or people who we would traditionally look to for help aren't always the answer. And I think, unfortunately for Cody, that was definitely what happened to him and, Obviously, because he was
2: a man. Yeah, yeah. And then even with things like the, you know, the coach praising Mm -hmm. him for coming and looking, as he said there, with his legs like Kenyon's, And it is the comments that other people can make, even if someone says, oh, you know, oh, you're looking really good at the moment. Then that's like reinforces things, doesn't it? You're thinking, great. Yep, and it's not
4: – and, you know, we said it before, it's not – people aren't trying to cause issues or trigger you. Um, it's a cultural thing. We're so used to saying it. I'm guilty of saying it. I'm guilty for looking for that kind of uh, – um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Just, justification? or No, yeah, yep. recognition or um, – yeah, I think we're all I mean guilty is a harsh word as well but I think it opens uh opens your eyes and sheds a bit of light on just how how easy it is to get wrapped up in uh these kind of issues.
2: Yeah, definitely and and people's words and what you know people's reactions people's words and and what they say to you and I think we'll hear more next week um from jody kanama about all that as well i think Mm -hmm. i mean god she talks about it so so well but it i think it is something that if you if you are a coach and you are or maybe even you know your peers in your triathlon club and you think that they might have issues i think it's just that conscious knowledge that actually just be wary of what you say no one's going to get it perfect at all we all make mistakes but i guess it's having having those thoughts in your head uh, what are my words how are they going to affect that person
4: absolutely uh yeah and again like we've spoken about already uh an individual sport but it's very much about the team that that surrounds you uh for sure there was something else with cody that um i really resonated with me was the men versus women um, when it comes to body image, eating disorders and disordered eating, I have to keep saying it like that because I'm trying to constantly educate myself on it. Um, But he said that it was easier to diagnose in women when there's, uh, yeah, these issues because they tend to lose their period, Um, which uh, that's absolutely a fair call. But what concerns me probably more than that is that That is a telltale sign, a siren. Yet, I feel like in this sport, not everyone, a lot of people ignore it and almost see it as a bit of a badge
2: of honor. I think that's, I I think it's changing slightly in that. um, Because I do think you've got things, more things like Fitter Woman, um, you know, the app to to kind of complement your um your cycles and your training and the works of people like stacy sims to really hammer home the fact that actually hormones and periods are so so important but i'll be totally honest my goodness i took the pill for five years didn't have a period during the the point when i was really most into triathlon it made it so easy Mm. (laughs) like it was but but that is not good. That is not good. And I think all of that was then related to injuries and probably not fueling enough, et cetera, et cetera. And, and again, I think I mentioned that in the interview with Renie McGregor, but it's so true what you say about it, it's, it's all like this big puzzle, isn't it?
4: Absolutely. Uh, and and getting your period is just, it's such, it's just a bit of a hassle, isn't it? Monthly
1: a <laughs> hassle.
4: <laughs> <It's> a <creepy> hassle. <laughs> Oh my goodness! but I think you nailed it is uh that it, there it there's a puzzle there's there's so many parts to to this wonderful thing we called life you could quote me on that <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, oh, i think so a a big a big piece of the puzzle is um is definitely the periods and um I think the person who you interviewed is. Wow, fascinating! Because she really did not have a period for a long time, and um, and the you know the the consequence of that oof, is really crazy. So, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the age grouper and coach Felicity Joyce? So.
4: I'm going to take a step back because we had decided that we wanted to speak to an age grouper as well as professional triathletes. We thought it was an important story to tell because this obviously affects anybody and everybody uh, potentially. So I thought, yeah, surely I know someone, you know, I know a lot of age groupers. Surely I know someone who has spoken about this in the past. And I was racking my brain for weeks trying to think of someone and no one was uh, no one who was vocal about it came to mind, and that was something that uh, again struck a chord with me. In that people potentially may be going through these things, and other people may be recognizing those those signs, uh, but a lot of the times they're not they're not happy to talk about it, or they've convinced themselves that they that, that they don't have a problem. So in the end, I actually put a shout out on social media and said, "This is." The kind of person that we need. Please contact me if you are comfortable discussing it. Uh, and in the hopes that, yeah, people would uh, would contact me. We had quite a few people, uh, quite a few people, which is unfortunate, but fortunate as well. Uh, but really interesting listening to so many different people and so many different stories. Uh, but I think with Felicity's story, I, I guess the severity of what happened was something that struck a chord. With me specifically, uh, and I guess, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a it's a long story because there's she's had some big ups and downs, but like we we think it's important to tell people that there's light at the end of the tunnel, and she has definitely found that light.
1: One of the problems is you don't actually know you're in it. Like you you think you're fine. Mm. You think you're uh, – it's a bit of a denial. Um, it's a bit of a control thing. I think um, you think you're winning until you get on the other side of it and you realize you're not. So I think a lot of people are stuck. In, um until they can open up about it, they're obviously still in it. And, and, and mm. you don't even realize sometimes. When I was in it, I thought I was – you know top of the world I I didn't have any clue whatsoever um, what I was doing to myself how I was losing my sporting career how it was going to affect me now in my 30s Um, and you know I didn't talk about it people bring it up and I'd get very defensive I would think like they're just jealous or they're just you know trying to you know stop me being Mm. how good I could be um, because I was stuck in this little world in my head of like I was doing what I needed to do to uh to win and in life and, and it was actually um, not the right thing. Absolutely.
4: And so I reached out, I actually put it out on social media, if there was anyone out there who had uh, suffered with disordered eating uh, or body image issues over their time, obviously within the sport, your story or the little tidbit that you gave me I guess stood out because from the sounds of things you did hit rock bottom and ended up in hospital as a result of the way – you had been treating your body can you take me back to I guess I guess the start of your story yeah for sure um,
1: actually it probably started um when I was ten, and my sister beat me at the uh, Australian Taekwondo Championships and got the gold, and it was only because they put <laughs> me—they put me up an age group because I was too big—and I'm sure it started there. And after <laughs> I was put up an age group, there everything was fine. Um, I went through school, uh, happy kid, uh, very into sports, uh, played every sport, represented, you know, New South Wales, Australia, whatever. Um, and then I got into my senior years uh, of high school and, um, I got into a lot of competitive touch football actually. And we had a coach and, you know, I had a lot of pressure on me for our team to do well. And I, and I do not blame the coach at all because, I'm that type of personality, like a lot of us athletes are that, you know, put a lot of pressure on ourselves to, to stand up. So, um, I definitely, it was in those final years of high school when uh, I was captain of a representative team. And I just, you know, I just, was very driven and and I wanted to make my best better and I wanted to take the team through and I thought it was on my shoulders so the initial goal and how it all started was I just wanted to be healthier and I just wanted to be healthier and healthier and healthier and become faster and faster and do better and better and better and and it just kind of spiraled from there and I had no idea where it was going to end me up like the goal was never to have this issue with eating or you know being skinnier or anything like that it was just to be better and healthier and, and it just took that little mindset to uh spiral with a driven person um into something quite large so that's where it all started mm.
4: um yeah and i imagine now your your version of what healthy looks like is very different to what it was back then
1: yeah you know i mean it even got to a point where it was like if someone, and that's why I think it's it's for a general public to know about it, it's important because how you treat someone going through this or talk or interact with them is very different to what we think. Calling someone, calling me healthy or strong back then was like a trigger to be, oh, I need to lose my weight or I'm putting on weight or something like that. So healthy, uh, in my mind, was a lot different to what I look back at now. and And I don't think it started that way. I think it started very innocent, but people, when we see results, you know, I started to, Mm. um, lose weight and I, you know, started to get faster because initially you can make great gains, right? I mean, I was running faster, I was performing better, I was looking better, you know, it was just like started very innocent. And I think that's dangerous with athletes like ourselves who, you know, start seeing results and then we're driven by results and, um, you start to get compliments and whatnot. And that was great at the start. But then mm. you know, it can spiral on, and it and it got to a stage. I mean, we went and won the championships, and I got selected on these teams. But come into my final year, you know, I, people started to run around me. I started to lose performance, and I still was in denial of if there was anything wrong, you know. And and so it starts getting on the other side of being better, and, and that's when things got in got into trouble.
4: So when you say trouble, what was the? Uh the journey from that yep. point when you started recognising that things weren't weren't going the way they, they were?
1: Yeah, so um, I was still in that stage of like I'm making myself better. I don't know what they're talking about, you know, um, and I actually even – I think it's a control thing. The more it wasn't going my way, the more I tried to do it more to like kind of fight that, that um, I was kind of wrong. But um, so, mm-hmm. you know, you start – missing social events because you know you want to only eat a certain foods i went from you know trying to train a little bit outside of the team's training hmm. to get better to pretty much obsessive exercising which is going to make you slow off of course so i was kind of losing hmm. the athlete in me trying uh, with this disease i would call call it um and so hmm. i you know instead of I went to healthy, and then healthy became, all right, well, let's eat less. So it was healthy food, now less, 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 and more, more, more training, less, less, less food in this order to, I don't know what was in my head, but to win at at whatever I was doing. And um, and it was just kind of like this fight against everyone that was trying to help me as well. There was so many people reached out and say, hey – Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And it's like, what's wrong? Like, you just, I'm doing great, you know. So it was hard. And it was, you know, my mom, my poor mom was in tears every day. Is like trying to get me to eat and whatever. And uh, she was not into sports. So um, for me, it was like, oh, you just don't want me to train because you don't like sports. And, you know, it was very making up these these things in my head. Uh, Yeah, it's amazing what you go through on this journey. And and people don't know on the outside. I mean, it looks like I was winning everything, whatever, but you're battling all this stuff. And, you know, I I actually even moved out of home so I could, you know, have control over everything. And, and, and that was huge. And and looking back, I lost a couple of years of friends and family that I I would never do again. So it can get pretty serious. Um, uh, if it goes down the line too much. Yeah. Anyway, it got to a stage where I started getting really bad chest pains. And so, My mum made me go into the doctors and I started having irregular heartbeats. They put me on an ECG machine and all this stuff and basically nearly killed myself, which is kind of extreme, but it was almost there. And so then we went through and we talked to doctors and got with specialists and we went through all that and uh, they tried to help me back. But I think... Being strong-headed, I was smart enough to know what they wanted me to say and, and do and, yeah. and that, but you're still not doing it because, you you know, you, you think you're right and whatnot. So we fought a bit with that and then, uh, yeah, pretty much rock bottom right there. Uh, my athletic career was down the drain and, you know, it hurt my family. I was in hospital. All this stuff just because of I wanted to be healthier at the start. I wanted to be good at what I did and it just kind of spiraled from there. Did it
4: have a label? Did the disordered eating have a specific label?
1: I was like anorexic. I mean, I was down maybe ninety six pounds. I'm five foot ten, and so yeah. yeah, I was pretty pretty on the lean side. Um, but I just took things into my own hands. I was like, I'm fine, you know, whatever. Um, and then you know what? It was. And we talk about women in sport and. I had a uh, a girl athlete that was above me and she was the captain of all the teams before I come up and took her place. And, you know, I really looked up to her. If she was at the game, I would run faster. You know, she was just one of those people I really, really looked up to in sports. And um, she knew that. She knew I idolized her to bits. And so the turnaround point was uh, she was probably the best friend I could have had because or mentor or whatever you want to call it. Um, because she pretty much saved everything um, she came and she saw me and it was the hardest conversation of my life she said she said flick you are not an athlete anymore and those words to me oh. I'll remember forever I was like what <laughs> like are you kidding me like I'm doing all this training," and she's like it was my idol and to hear that from her was like those words coming out of her mouth was like the dagger in my chest and because she knew how much passion I was for sport and she just said Mm. you are not an athlete anymore you know look at you I could hardly run I was like shuffling I guess you'd call it but I thought it was running um and she just put Mm. the hard love on me I mean I cried I like threw things I chucked the biggest tantrum ever I didn't want to believe it because I knew it was true I guess um and and hearing it come from her though like was what I needed. I needed someone I really looked up to, to come to me. And as much as I hated it in the moment, and I'm sure she did too, um, there was tears, there was everything. She's just like, you know, it's up to you. Do you want to be an athlete? Or do you want to be like this? You know, she said, you know, you could have been the best, you're throwing it away, you know, just really things she knew would trigger me. And that, that worked for me. That really changed everything and I remember right
4: yeah it was Yeah, because like, I, I guess as well like you said earlier your mum wasn't into sport so she yeah. didn't know the language to use the the direction to use to really get through to you
1: right so she hadn't been telling my thing and she thought if you're going to spend that much energy doing something you might as well mow the lawn right like so she totally had yeah. no concept of what we did and how much it meant and the work you put behind it so coming from someone who does and there's your absolute yeah. idol, idol, who you want to be like, to come to you and tell you that is, is, you know, that's the athlete side of it that, you know, that you love. You don't want, you want to be an athlete. You want, that's your goal. That's your dream. And mm. hearing from specialists, or oh, you got to eat more, all that stuff, that did nothing. Like, but hearing from a mentor, mm. another woman that was the captain of the team that was, could play like I wanted to play and, for her, I mean, it took her probably a lot of guts to do that, but it was a turning Definitely.
4: point. Does she know how much of an impact she's had on your life?
1: Yeah, I think she does, but maybe not this much. She, I've told her, but I, I don't think deep down uh, she would realise, you know, that's why I'm where I am now. I mean, and, and I remember just going for a run, as I would call it then, and I actually called my mom and I said, I don't want to do this anymore and that was my words and my mum said that was one of wow. the best days of her life. I just said, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I, I don't and and I still remember the phone call and she was like in tears, like she couldn't believe it. She goes, oh, where are you? I'll come get you and um, I just remember that was the turning point right there. And and obviously that,
4: that sounds like it was a turning point with your relationship with your mum as well and probably strengthen that bond that probably would have been a little bit shattered over the years
1: oh yeah I mean I I love my mom but I put her through the ringer like well of course your mom Mm. cares about you and for her to see me go through this um was was and I we fought we fought I mean I was like so pig-headed about the whole thing and looking (laughs) back I, I, I you know I apologize but um yeah I was just like bitch like i really gave her a hard time and but she she's that kind of person that keeps digging like my mom i love her but she'll just like Mm. at you at you at you and so it just made (laughs) things so much (laughs) i love her to death don't get me wrong but yeah it did change that but uh but then i went away to university and um got on top of things and then i came back to port and uh started ultra running and um one the australian you know 24-hour track championships and i got back on track and i was you know uh went over and did the comrades marathon in south africa yeah and then a number of like um the state and australian track championships 120 miles around a track i mean no wonder i went a bit cuckoo because like (laughs) talk about extremes i'm just like if i get stuck on a thing it's it's like it's all or nothing so um, went through that, but then it kind of crept in again and um and that was a little scary because i I think the hard thing with this it doesn't leave you completely. you're always kind of managing it, and I think to be aware of that is is really key and um it started to creep in a little bit when I started to perform really well again you know it's that that wanting to be better kind of thing but i was I was strong enough to fight it off and you know tapping back into it I started to go down that road again and and, you know, that's when I moved to America. And to be honest, I think being in a different environment, if you're really stuck with this, like, get out. Because I felt like every time when I was in my community, after being through that, it, it kind of felt like people were judging how you looked, right? Because you get really skinny or whatever with the disease. And then as you get healthier, I don't know, you're, people know what you've been through. Um, and, and it can be mm. a little bit hard to come back, um, you know, they're supportive and everything like that, but, you know, they're still looking at you like, is she doing better kind of thing, you know? Um, and so stepping yeah. over stepping over here to America, I just, like, dropped all that. I've um, been the healthiest I've ever been, and, you know, we've been to Kona, and, you know, we're going to New Zealand this year. And so, yeah, and, and some good mentors over here have been key, and I jumped in and started training with people better than me, and I think that was really key for me because I knew – if I want to train with these people, like Kelsey I train with and I used to train a bit with Meredith in the studio and stuff, um, people I really look up to and pros in our sport, um, if I want to train with them, there's no way I could have done what I did before to myself because, you know, they'd just kick my ass. I wouldn't have the opportunity to train with these people that is like gold for me, like it's like a lifetime opportunity Training train mm. with the pros for an amateur um And I had a nutritionist this year for the first time. So that was a big step for me and that went really well. Mm. Um, So, yeah. That that wasn't
4: triggering at all?
1: I had a a nutritionist before that was health orientated because I I had some issues due to to what I went through before. Um, I think you don't think about that um, later down on the track. I've had... I was amenorrheic. I didn't have my period for 12 years. Um, And so I've had 11 stress fractures um, already. And so um, you don't think about the consequences when you're in your 30s and you still want to race. Like, you know, you don't have your period. You're Mm. so happy. Like, I was so like, I don't have my period. I get to run, blah, blah, blah. And (laughs) it's like gold, gold sold. And then now later on in my, I'm only in my 30s, and it's like I'm peaking, and, and I'm dealing with these stress fractures, and you know it's stuff like that is is not worth it because you know I had, I've probably missed out on some opportunities uh, right now um, in triathlon that due to due to you know stress fractures, which could have probably been avoided if I didn't go down that path. But it's all good. But yeah, I had a wellness health nutritionist and it didn't work for me it was totally a trigger now I got a um, performance nutritionist okay so she's only focused on performance and it totally works for me I think that mindset of away from like managing weight and health but focusing on performance has really like fueling your body yeah and just the the mindset of this is going to help me win races not this is going to help me lose weight or, or, or whatever, you know? So just really um,
3: being Mm. more
1: performance minded um, and sports orientated, like my mentor that told me I'm not going to be an athlete rather than specialists telling me to eat more. Those things work Mm. for me. And so I think if you're an athlete, you need to find what really triggers you to come out of that state and into the athlete state.
4: When we sort of chatted offline and, and yep. just over email, you you mentioned a couple of times that uh, triathlon actually saved you. What what do you mean by that specifically?
1: Um, you know, when I moved over here, everyone here seemed to be in triathlon. When I was a kid, I, I, I always aspired to be a triathlete, but never really thought it wasn't a real big thing in, in when I was growing up. And, um, mm. and anyway, I got here and, and everyone was – in triathlon and everyone was really great and um that was my community started to be triathlon and I think it revamped the little kid athlete in me again before all this stuff happened right and it was like my goals as a kid and 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 I had a fresh start with triathlon there was no history there's no nothing and I was surrounded by great athletes and I wanted to be as good as them just was a fresh start and yeah I just love it I actually just love it and I just want to be able to do it and you know that going through that stuff before is it kind of stopped me from doing what I wanted in the moment and uh yeah it kind of just brought me back out of my shell to just be who I was when I was growing up
4: I just want to circle back uh just just last question How yeah. how is the
1: heart these days oh uh, it's great I mean uh once I pulled out of it it was just a scare it really was um everything settled I think the only thing is the bone situation now. I mean, obviously, right. when you don't have your period for a long time, your bone density is compromised. So we got into a bit more cycling last year just to offset the running, um, which was great cycling. It was racing and um, and whatnot. But it, I think the only the side effects now left are, you know, the bone issues. And, you know, you're always going to have a little bit, I think, in there and you just got to be aware of it. But – being able to talk to it like this, I'm, I'm totally, like, right on the other side and all good, but, um, but yeah, yeah, heart's good. Heart's good.
2: Steph, some of the things that Felicity touched on there, like, you know, with her heart, the relationship with her mum, all those kind of stuff, so I, I was listening to it and I was like, oh, my God. Are you, are You know, when things do go wrong with eating disorders, like, they really can go, so, so horribly wrong. Mm. And
4: I mean, Felicity is the poster child for that. Um, for I mean, for so many reasons. I mean, the heart condition uh, you mentioned, the the lost friendships and relationships. Um, but that pivotal moment when she rang her mum—that's not. That's not just a game changer for her. That's that's a game changer for her and her mum. And and being a mum now, I, I just I it it broke my heart to to know that their relationship had had been broken by this this horrible condition this this thing that she was going through. Um, I'm honestly just so glad that she finally reco- or found someone uh her idol yep. who helped her recognize uh that things weren't really as they they seemed for her
2: and it is the you know she touched on it and I, and again I know that Jody will be touching on it and everyone sort of mentions this word the spiral mm. and and it sat you know I I can absolutely see you know, how it might happen. And, and it's almost sometimes quite difficult to imagine how then you do stop that spiral. And, and I think for everybody, it's been different, different things.
4: Yeah. And we'll, we'll find out with the Jodie interview as well, is that I don't think she can still pinpoint exactly what it was. There was, yeah, quite, quite a few different triggers. Um Yeah, it's, I I think until you are kind of in it and maybe out the other side, you you really don't recognize that spiral, which is why it's so important for us to be discussing these things so that I I hope that someone who's out there who might be in that spiral who doesn't know it yet can recognize those things or can recognize those things in someone else potentially.
2: Totally. I think – and that is one of the major aims of doing this whole podcast is to encourage – Yeah, encourage you to be able to talk about it and to get, I guess, start that conversation between what we're doing here and then helping you as athletes, you as coaches, you as parents, if you can see any telltale signs, to actually not just brush it under the carpet. Mm,
4: Absolutely. I I mean,
2: you've summed it up perfectly. Job's done.
4: (laughs) Save the world. (laughs) (laughs)
2: no you know hopefully these athletes being brave enough to speak to us hopefully then that will enable you know you listening to be brave enough to to maybe go and seek help or or do something about it so next week in episode two over on the whips up podcast you're going to hear from professional triathlete three times world champion and now a mum of three jodie Kanama.
1: you see it very often that The athletes that stick around in in the sport usually are quite sound in terms of
2: nutritionally um, balanced and not too extreme. But saying that, you'll get a superstar for a couple of years that um, isn't so balanced and goes ahead and wins everything and then disappears off the radar with injuries. Plus, we'll get the expert view of eating disorders from Renee McGregor, who you heard from. A little earlier, but hopefully this has given a bit of a, a bit of a, an introduction. I guess more than an introduction. Hopefully, it has started the conversation.
4: Yeah, I think uh, if that was an introduction, whoa, I, you know, <laughs> I'd hate to see what the main bit is. Wow, uh, <laughs> well, you better you better listen out next week. <laughs> on what, the Wits Up podcast. How many triathlon puns can we throw in there? Let's dive into the
2: deep end. <laughs> but basically if if this has helped if you've enjoyed part one then let us know at inside trishow and at witsupcom or you can find us over at inside trishow.com and witsup.com as well so please do let us know your thoughts do let us know if this has struck a chord
4: and i guess as well um it's it's uh, Helen and I have been trying to work with each other for quite some time. Um, I love what Helen does at Inside Try Show and beyond, uh, and I think we are both very worthy platforms uh, for support. So if you appreciate the content that uh, we are producing, then please consider becoming patrons of our podcast. Simply head to patreon.com slash Inside Try Show or patreon.com slash
2: witsup awesome so you have been listening to part one of healthy body and inside Tri show and Wits Up podcast special taking a closer look at body image and disordered eating thank you so much for listening do not forget to subscribe to both of our podcasts if you don't already hello witsup and inside Tri show so wherever you normally get your podcasts thanks for listening thank you steph and
5: we'll speak again soon chat soon